Uh, so regardless, regardless of our religious or religiosity, let's say, um, regardless if you consider yourself a Christian or maybe a different religion or you're checking out church for the first time today online or in person, uh, I think the truth is for most of us, we're somewhat interested in that idea of heaven, uh, especially um, for those people that we love, right? I mean, that you hear at most uh, funerals or memorial services, things like that, that, you know, regardless of religious beliefs, belief, you know, they're in a better place now, or some phraseology that indicates that things are better. And eventually there comes a time in all of our lives where we kind of sit there and we say to ourselves, I hope I'm going to heaven. You know, I, I want to be there too, you know, and I, and I hope my dog's there with me, but I know my cat won't make it, right? So, okay, the dog people are on this side and the cat people are on this side. Okay, um, and so, uh, so because um, heaven is um, such an important thing, because we realize, I think all of us kind of know deep down that, um, you know, our time is limited here on earth. Uh, some of us think we'll live forever, but that's not really the case. Um, and that, that there will be a time that will come where we have to seriously contemplate what happens after, after life, um, not just death. And, and so for most of us, we at least ponder or deep down I think we hope that there is something after and if there is something after we really want to end up there and so we better get how we get there right we better get that end thing figured out and so that's made me a little nervous as we start uh, continue the series called stranger things and today we're going to be talking about heaven that's made me a little nervous as I've prepared for today's message because many of us um, have held beliefs based on maybe something we heard when we grew up based on what we were taught when we grew up based on what the pastor said when we grew up um, have all these ideas around um, heaven and so that has made me nervous because I, I don't want to upset some important beliefs that that you have next week when we talk about hell not so nervous I think I got that one figured out um, but this week I don't want to upset you too much and I realize that I could be in many cases impacting decades and decades of beliefs that you've you've had and and subsequently impact uh, what you believe about those whom you love that are no longer with us and so to remind you of how we're going to move forward into this sensitive topic um, I'm going to remind you that we are in the process of baking. That's what we talked about last week, that um, a lot of what we're going to do in this series, last week and this week and the next two weeks, is we're going to be baking. We're going to be making something. And that sometimes involves getting messy. And it does require, if you want to make something that tastes good, it does require sometimes breaking some eggs. And so the egg is symbolizing our pre-existing idea of a concept or a Christian idea or theology, that kind of thing. And sometimes to better understand and make sure we're making the right thing, we have to break the egg, right? And when we break the egg and we open the egg up, um, we look at what's in there and um, it's just messy. I mean, it's kind of honestly useless. In this form, for most people, some of you like put these in shakes and stuff and like that's, that's, that's unique. And... <laughs> Um, but, but for the most part, this is useless, right? I mean, if I told my three-year-old and I said, what do you do with this? They said, I, I would have no idea. But if you put this with other ingredients, right? If you put this with flour and sugar and brown sugar and baking soda and, and salt, and, and what you get at the end, you give it some time, right? You're patient with it, right? You, you measure carefully, you get cookies. But too often... When it comes to our ideals about faith, especially Christianity, I think sometimes we miss 
some key ingredients, or we have too much of one thing and too little of another thing. And you know, if you've ever tried to bake cookies and you miss something, just as something as small as, you know, a teaspoon of baking soda or sugar, it makes a big difference on the outcome. And so that's essentially what I wanted to do in this whole series is to talk about some things that we kind of consider a little stranger. We don't really know why we believe what we believe about it, but I think it's important to talk about it. So that's why we're going to take time to do that. We want to get to the truth. We want to get to what's right, and and especially on the topic, I think, of heaven. And so if during this series, or today especially, you're feeling a little stressed out, I'm like hitting some buttons for you or something, just remember, it's messy. We're baking. Give it some time. We're building something better, hopefully. Okay, we're cracking some eggs, all right? Okay, so the other thing, the other tool, the message hasn't started yet, by the way, the other tool that I want to give you in your toolbox as we move forward is to ask a very, very important question. This goes with what we were just talking about, okay? And the question is this, what does the biblical story say and not say on a topic? Okay, so this is a really important question for today because we're going to get really Bible heavy. I think we're going to like cover more verses than I even made slides for, okay? Um, But uh, the the biblical story, and and the reason I say biblical story, not the Bible, because most people would say, well, why didn't you just say, what does the Bible say on a topic? Because I think we forget that the, the Bible is a story. It's one unified story that really points to Jesus, That's the Bible. It's a story. But we look at the Bible and we think Wikipedia. We think if I have a question about something in life or or faith or whatever, I'm just going to search it in the Bible, okay, verses on this certain topic. And then there are people who, you know, give you like 20 verses on topic, and it may not even relate or may not even be accurate, but it doesn't really matter. And so you just take that, and that's what it is. And 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 I I think that can be very dangerous because this is a story that, that comments on our relationship with God most of all, but the farther and farther away you get from that, it doesn't really say a whole lot. And especially if you go at the Bible and you say, tell me about heaven, there's not a whole lot in there, especially when it's concerned with the ultimate question that we're concerned about is how do I get there? How do I get to heaven? Is heaven where I end up? And so we're going to be really careful today and ask this question throughout today, what does a biblical story actually say on a particular topic, okay? Because it doesn't answer all the questions in the world, just some of the questions, okay? All right, now we're going to start the message, okay? You ready for this? If you came up today to most Christians and you asked them the question, what is Christianity all about? What would you hear? Might be a little fumbling, might involve Jesus, Inevitably, though, I think most people, even if they're not Christian, would come to the point at the end where, well, you get to go to heaven. Heaven's generally actually a really big part of what people think Christianity is all about. And so I'm going to take the next few minutes to draw out what people generally think that Christianity is all about, okay? So usually, here's how this starts, okay? Going over to my whiteboard. You're in school today. Okay, generally, the story begins with me and my life. Or you could put you if you're describing it to somebody else, okay? And you live your life on this globe we call Earth, okay? And when you live your life on Earth, what generally happens is one of two things. You live right, 
Or you live, not wrong, you live sinfully. Because, you know, we got to be good Christians. You're a sinner, okay? And then, eventually, you're going to die. Sorry, I just whispered that for dramatic effect. You're going to die, okay? At which point, there will be some form of judgment. Judgment. And then, what's going to happen next? And based in the, the judgment is based on um, if you did things uh, right or sinfully, it, essentially your behavior. Or some Christians will tell you it's what you believe. Okay, then that will determine one of two outcomes. Outcome number one. Anybody want to guess? Heaven. Yeah, it's not a trick question. There will be trick questions, but not yet. Yeah, you're going to end up in heaven, and heaven looks something like this, right? Clouds, generally a staircase, because you got to climb your way up there. I mean, what a bear, you know? Like, I got to heaven, yeah, I got to climb my way there. <clears throat> or, second option is hell. Yep, see, no trick questions yet. And hell looks like this. <laughs> I, I swear, I've never been booed on a Sunday morning. Today is the first day. Now, I'm just going to leave that up there for a while, okay? And it gets to you. It gets to you. Okay, yeah, so I think, I think I got all my notes right. Yeah, yeah, so, so one, of, one of two things kind of happen, and, and that's, that's, that's Christianity. So essentially, you know, live, live your best life, you know, do the right things, believe the right things, and, and one day you'll make it, make it to, to heaven. And, and I think most Christians would say this if they had to draw it out. And I'll be honest with you, up until a few years ago, that's what I would have said too. And some of you are thinking, yeah, Taylor, that's actually what I believe happens in Christianity. And that's how I would describe it. And so today I want to let you know that I love you, that I care about you. And therefore, I'm going to tell you right now, this is wrong. This right here is full of half and partial truths. This is not Christianity. In fact, to me, this, or excuse me, the right version is so much better than this version. But think about it. Where did this version of Christianity come from for you? Let's just have a moment of honesty. Was this version of Christianity, did that come because you, you know, studied the Bible? Because you read verses? Or maybe you actually did, but you read verses through the lens in which you wanted to see it. So the things that didn't make sense, the things that didn't fly in the face of, that, that went opposite of this, you just kind of, you know, push to the side and like, oh, that's confusing, I'm just going to move on. Or did you let people around you inform this? Did you maybe read a book or you watched a movie or, or something like that and this is what it was all about? Or you went to enough funerals and at the funerals they said, well, everybody, you know, they're in heaven, they're in heaven. So you just thought, well, either it's heaven and hell and guess what? Everybody goes to heaven, including my dog. Where did that come from for you? For the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to reframe this for you, for all of us. 
so that we understand what Christianity really is about, regardless of where you are in your faith journey. And because, you know, I was going to just talk about heaven, but I realized I can't really talk about heaven independent of the whole thing, and you'll see why in just a minute, because it's a really in integral part of the whole picture of Christianity. And in so doing, we'll discover a new and more accurate version of Christianity, I think, based on what the Bible actually says. And I think if you let this stew a little bit and you add all the ingredients and you put this together and you use the new framework I'm about to give you to read the Bible, I think at the end of the day, you will sit back like I did. Like for the first few months, it was like, oh, this is difficult. This is new. Um, but, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought to myself, this actually feels right. This feels better. As I go through life even, the new version, or maybe let's just say the original version, makes a lot more sense. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hang on to your seats here. I'm going to read the Bible. Okay. And I'm going to draw what we read. I'm going to draw what we read. And so to begin, I am first going to erase. I'm going to take hell out of there first. It's so powerful. I just took hell out. Okay. All right. We're starting with a clean slate, okay? We're going to reframe this, all right? <clears throat> and we're going to reframe it based on, based on what we read, okay? So here we go. We're going to start page one of book one, of chapter one, of verse one of the Bible. Isn't that a great place to start? Yes, Taylor, it is. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> In the beginning, God. Okay. So where does the story start? Does it start with me and my life and you and your life on earth? No. You're not even in existence yet. Sorry, ego bummer. Okay. So we're going to just say God. And we're going to call this God's story. Okay. What we're going to go here from here on out is we're going to talk about God and God's story. And this is a real ego bummer for all of us because we think the whole thing is about us and our salvation and our eternity. But really, if you think back to your, if we'd bring you back to your um, uh, literature class or you know, reading class or whatever in high school, you know, think back for me for a second. There was a character in, in every story and it was called the protagonist. And the protagonist was the main character. And, and, the, and here's, I actually wrote down what, what a protagonist is defined as. The protagonist makes key decisions that affect the plot. Who in the Bible makes more key decisions to affect the plot than God? He's there at the beginning, he's there at the end, and everywhere in between. It's God, primarily influencing the story and propelling it forward, and is often the character who faces the most significant obstacles. And guess what? We often think in the Bible, the Bible is all about people facing obstacles. Imagine how God feels dealing with all of us. I mean, imagine how you feel sometimes dealing with your kids. Imagine how God feels dealing with us, his children. Okay, you get my point here, okay? God is the protagonist. He is the key of the biblical story. Okay? And what does God do? In the beginning, God created the what? Heavens. He created the heavens. In, in Hebrew, it's um, bara shemaim. He created bara and shemaim, heavens. Okay? A couple facts. Bara, bara is only used three times. Creation is only happens in the creation account over the seven-day period three times. 
that's going to mess with you. Don't worry, we'll talk about it next year when we talk about Genesis 1, okay? I know, it's a creation account and only happens three times. <clears throat> he only creates three times. Okay, and then what does he create? He creates heavens. Now, heavens, sorry, I should draw it up here. We will create heavens, okay? And we're going to call it for what the Hebrew biblical authors called it. Heavens, plural. Heavens is always plural in Hebrew. Always plural. And there's a good reason for it. Like we have words in English that are always plural, like trousers. You don't put on a trouser, you put on your trousers, right? You don't go out and have a shenanigan, you go have shenanigans. <laughs> You're welcome, you learned something today. Okay. <clears throat> And in Hebrew, they said heavens plural because it was layered. He the heavens are layered in the biblical narrative. They're not singular. It's not just one. It's always plural, okay? And so as God created heavens, um, uh, we're going to work through how he created heavens. Let's just put it that way, okay? And, and as I read this, don't put on your modern 21st century scientific reading glasses, okay? Think like you don't know a thing, all right? Think like you lived 5,000 years ago, okay? And you're writing this for the first time. Think in those terms. That's what we do so often. We put our ideas over top of the Bible. The Bible isn't written in our ideas, with our ideas in our time. You have to read it in its appropriate context. Otherwise, you take it out of context. God created the heavens, okay? Listen to what the heavens were like, Genesis uh, 6 through 7. Then God said, let there be an expanse. An expanse is like, um, is like a, a, a hard, solid object, a dome, okay? This expanse is. Oftentimes in Hebrew, it's used as like a, a, a breastplate of armor. They're like hammering out uh, this expanse, okay? So it's a solid object, and it needs to be solid. It makes sense, because let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, because at the beginning there were waters in the, in the creation account, and let it separate the waters from the waters, God made the expanse and separated the waters that were below the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. Because if you dig down into the ground, eventually you're going to hit what? Water. And where does water come from if it comes from above? The sky. And if you look at the sky, the sky is blue like water. And so it stands to reason that there is water up above, not talking 21st century, I'm talking biblical author. And something has to hold that water up because we know if we throw water up in the air, it comes down. So something has to hold the water up. Therefore, God created an expanse that holds the waters back. And sometimes there's a leak in the roof and the waters come down. Very straightforward, very simple. So in the heavens, there's water. Sorry if you can't read that, it says water. Okay, now, and, and what does the expanse, God, in, in verse 8, God called the expanse what? Heaven. Or in Hebrew, heavens. This dome is the heavens. So if you're feeling a little disappointed right now, that's okay. Remember, we're just breaking eggs. We're just reading, okay? The heavens. And there was day and night, a second day. Now, where do the birds go? You'll never guess where the birds go. I'll read it to you. Then God said, let the waters teeming with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. 
So what do we have in there? We have birds. I'm just reading it. Changing anybody's perspective so far? I'm just reading it. That's Genesis 1.20. What else is in the heavens? So glad you asked. Thank you. <clears throat> Verse 14 and um, through like 17, okay? Then said, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens on a separate day from the night, and they shall serve as signs for the season and for days and years. And God, listen to this, God made the two great lights. In Hebrew, it's like lanterns. He made lanterns in the sky. Great, uh, the greater light to govern the day, to rule the day, and the lesser to govern the night, to which we often translate this into the sun and the moon, which is kind of strange because God already created, in a few days before, he created day and night. How'd you create day and night without the sun and the moon? There is a perspective on Genesis that says that this day is when God created spiritual beings. We talked about that last week. And so if you missed last week, yeah, just watch last week. I can't, there's not enough time to go through it. But this is why, is, why are the lights governing? Why are they ruling? Because that's what God did. God delegated authority to spiritual beings in the heavens. And in, in those days, in, in biblical Hebrew author 5,000 years ago days, they would have looked up at the stars. They looked up at the stars like many cultures did. And they said, there is something divine about them. They are like a symbol of these heavenly creatures that God has created. And so there is a, a track of thought that suggests that these are, in a way, in Hebrew, when people read them back then, they were saying, no, this is, this is a symbol of the spiritual beings in the heavens that God is creating. And there's a whole lot more to it, but if you go back and watch last week's message and watch the videos um, uh, af that I gave you afterwards, it, it'll help you understand, um, uh, understand that more. I think it's, if you Google um, the Bible Project and spiritual beings, it, it'll help explain this a bit more. So there's spiritual beings, okay? And, and, and that's day four, okay? And then where does God go? That's such a great question. Let's skip ahead to Psalms. Let me find my Bible. Oops. Drop my pens. Um, Psalms 113. The Lord is high above the nations. His glory is above the heavens, which actually makes sense, doesn't it? God creates heaven, and then he's there. No, he's better than heaven. He's greater than heaven. God sits above heaven, who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who looks far down the heavens, to the heavens and the earth. Which makes more sense, doesn't it? That he is greater than all of those things. It's poetic. He's creator. He's above all things. But we'll, we'll put him right up here in the heavens. Oh, put an S. Oh, there we go. God. So in the heavens, what do we have? We have water, we have birds, we have spiritual beings, and we have God. What we don't have, I'm sorry to say, is St. Peter. We don't have gates. Haven't heard anything about fluffy clouds. And so if you're freaking out, just remember we're cracking eggs. We're cracking eggs. Hang on. We're getting close. Created the heavens. And what else did he create? He created one more thing in that first verse, the opposite of heaven. He created the thing that was opposite heaven, which is? Yeah, it's a little confusing. Trick question. Yeah. He created earth. Isn't that kind of interesting? The opposite of heaven is not hell. It's earth. Because it would stand a logic that at this point, 
there is no hell because everything is good. And the reason why I drew earth there is for a very specific reason, because the earth is populated by creatures and including its rulers. And who rules earth? We do. Humanity rules earth. We talked about that last week. And humanity exists in a very particular place. In Genesis 2, verse 8, it says, The Lord planted the garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And Eden in Hebrew better translates, it's a, it's a specific place, but it better translates to paradise. That God created paradise. And he invited us to be there with him. And why is it good? Why is it paradise? Because, my friends, God is there. Genesis 3, 8. Now they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Because at this point, heaven and earth are together. All is good. All is as it should be. And God transitions between the two easily. It's all good. There's nothing that has broken us apart. We're together. One of the big problems I think we have with heaven is we think heaven is a place or a space distinct from God. I would argue heaven or the paradise of heaven, the goodness of heaven is entirely dependent on God. That way, God, wherever God is, is heavenly. We have to think more in terms of where God is, that is where heaven is too. That is where holiness is. That is where goodness is, is with God. And is God in heaven? Yes. So is heaven good? Yes. And if you read through the biblical story and you watch where God shows up, there are specific verses that will say in the burning bush, what does God say? He says, the, the ground you're standing on is holy ground, Moses. It's good. There's a little slice of heaven right here on earth. But then we went and messed it up. And humanity, in its sin and its pride and its arrogance, and thinking that it was better than everybody else, thinking it was better than God, disobeyed God, became selfish, missed the mark, defined right and wrong in their own eyes. Humanity did this, and thus we have sin. So if God is paradise, and we have now sinned, we have disobeyed, we have caused a rift in the relationship, who gets removed? Who gets pushed out of the garden? Who gets pushed out of paradise? We do. Heaven and earth. And now we have a bit of a problem on the earth side of things. Evil is present. Essentially, now there is suffering. Now man is destined to endure the consequences of sin, of doing wrong, of taking things into your own hands, and therefore, in a lot of ways, experiencing hell. And we're going to expand on what hell is much more next week. So all I'm just going to say is there is suffering, there is pain, there is hardship on this side. 
And so often when you read through the Bible and you read about earth, you're going to read earth is synonymous with things like sin and death. Perishing. I know this isn't exciting. It'll get exciting by the end. Don't worry. Uh, perishing. Perish. Um, the present age. Present age is sometimes how it'll be referred to. Or the world. The world does this. We're talking about this. This is what the biblical authors have in mind. And paradise had to leave. Paradise. Or eternal life. Or um, salvation will be connected with heaven. Um, what other things? I got to check my notes. Sorry. Can't remember everything. Dwelling place. This is important. It'll come in handy. Uh, and the kingdom of God. Heaven. And now we're apart. And we think this is a little harsh. This is really a bummer. And there's some truth to that, but let's be honest. We do this all the time. If you've ever been in the classroom, which most of us have, what happens when a child misbehaves? When they compromise the purpose of the classroom, which is learning, they distract from what everybody else should be doing. What eventually happens to the child? They're removed from the classroom because they are hurting everyone around them and compromising the entire purpose for its existence. And that's what's happening here. The teacher, God, is saying, you guys got to go because you can live that way. I'm going to respect your decision to live that way, but it cannot be heavenly because it runs in the face of everything that I, God, stand for. But God, as we've learned time and time again, God is an intensely relational God. He wants us to be together. And that, my friends, is good news because God is going to try to create a way for heaven and earth to come together, essentially for God and earth to come together again, to not live completely apart from God, to be a part of his goodness again. And so if you read through the Old Testament, what starts to happen? God says, you need to make a place. You need to make what they call a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. So they make this really fancy place for, through which God can forgive sin. You can pay for your debts. It's run by priests. You make sacrifices. You come before the Lord. And they put in it the Ark of the Covenant. And if you look at the construction of the Ark of the Covenant, all the imagery around the Ark includes two things. Garden imagery, paradise imagery, and spiritual beings. To reflect back to the time in which we were all together, in which God was with us. And then they went on in time and they built the temple. And the temple is in the Temple Mount. You can still go visit it in Israel today. You can visit the Temple Mount. You can't visit the temple. The temple was taken, destroyed by the Roman Empire. Um, but the temple, and if you read how the temple was constructed and how Solomon constructed the temple, it mirrored back to paradise. It mirrored back to the time when heaven and earth were together because that's what the biblical authors saw and that's what they wanted to get across from us. But this is not exactly the version of Christianity we were raised with. But the problem was in the biblical story, humanity kept sinning. And so God had a solution. And God sends his son Jesus and the cross. 
as a solution for the problem of sin. And this, my friend, is where we start to get bacon. This is what gives me chills. Because Jesus comes. And what does Jesus, and why does Jesus come? One of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved, God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So that we could be together again. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. It's all about God and how we relate to him. And so what does Jesus do for his entire ministry? He goes around and he pushes back on the hell in our world. He speaks truth. He pushes out evil. He rebukes hypocrisy. He restores relationships. He goes at the heart of the issue. He doesn't just address your spending issues. He addresses your greed. He goes right to the heart of what makes hell so bad. And he gets rid of it. He confronts it. Doesn't say, you're, you're, it's not that you're just mean. You're prideful. You're arrogant. That's a problem. And he takes care of it. And he pushes it out. It's not just racism. It's contempt. It's hate of your fellow creation, of your fellow ruler of the world. And it needs to stop. And Jesus went around and started pushing back on the evil that was in the world. That's why we call it good news, the gospel. The gospel is so much bigger than just Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a huge, huge, incredible thing, incredible journey. And ultimately, Jesus dies and pays the debts of our sins on the cross. And then he is resurrected to new life, eternal life with God the Father. And he calls people to faith in him. He says, if you look at me, you'll see the Father. If you follow me, you'll see the Father. If with me, you will not thirst. You'll thirst here. You'll be really thirsty here. But if you follow me, you won't be thirsty. You won't be hungry again. You will be made clean. You will have eternal life. I'm gonna take away the sin of the world to give you freedom so you can be with me in my Father's house. You can trust me. And what incredible thing happens that we just list, uh, read uh, like two weeks ago. Paul uh, talks about it in, in Corinthians. He says, do you not know that you and your body is a temple? That the spirit of God is in you and you with the spirit of God, because that's where heaven is. It's where God is. And you are the temple. A little slice of heaven resides in you when you choose to follow Jesus, when you trust him, you put your faith in him, and you too will care deeply about pushing the hell of the world back out. And in so doing, bring a little bit of heaven back in. Some of you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer. My grandma, who's probably watching or will watch after she goes to church, always gets on my case about why don't you say the Lord's Prayer in church. This is what the Lord's Prayer means. Our Father, who art 
in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on where? Earth as it is in what? Heaven. That's Jesus' prayer. That heaven would come into earth and all that is wrong in earth would be pushed out. Heaven on earth. Doesn't that sound good? That's, that's what the whole Bible is all about. If you read to the very end, you go home and you read the last like uh, two chapters um, of, of Revelation. Jesus' return and there's judgment and that kind of thing. It's, you know, a lot more dramatic than it kind of is. But what's the conclusion? Heaven and earth together again. And it even says in there, where does the hell go? Outside the city of God. That's what God wants. He wants us to be so close. He says, I love you so much. God loves you so much. He wants all wrongs to be made right. Because that's what it would take for heaven to come to earth, for all wrongs, past, present, and to come, to be made right. And so if you've just sat there in your, in your life, and you look back on your life, and you're saying, boy, there are just some unjust parts of life. There are just some wrong parts of life. There's some personal hurt. There is sin that I've committed towards others, and people have sinned against me. I felt this imbalance and tension in the world. In this version of Christianity, all of that is made right. I don't know how that all works, but all of it will be made right. It will be made good. Is that not like a relief? Is it not that you sit there some days thinking to yourself, I just wish heaven would come down right now. That's what you really want. You, you go look at God and you say, God, why don't you come fix this? Why don't you come fix this? Why don't you come fix this? God's sitting there saying, I know the problem. I've been trying to fix the problem. I'm inviting you to take place of the pro- part of solving the problem. And one day I will make it all right. There's a plan here. And one day, heaven and earth will come together. So, Taylor, do I get to go to heaven or not? I, I just, do I, I don't know. What do I do now? <laughs> what, what do I do? The Bible really doesn't say much. But what it does say are these two things. Really, like in context, right nail on the head, do we go to heaven or not? And, here's, and, and uh, here's what it says. In Luke 23, there's a criminal. There's three people that died on the cross with Jesus, Jesus and then two other guys, two other criminals, okay? And what did Jesus say to the other criminal? The criminal said, Jesus, you, you are good, and, and I've done wrong, and I'm getting just punishment. And Jesus responds to him. He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me. We're going to be together. Why? Because that's what God cares about. And where are we going to be? We're going to be in paradise. What was the translation of Eden? Paradise. What is Eden? It's where heaven and earth come together. We're going to be together. Death is not the end, Jesus says. We will be in God's space with God, where heaven and earth meet And the other passage that really speaks to this is Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what it says in 14 and 17. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so that we believe that God will bring Jesus and those who have fallen asleep with him. Why are those people sleeping? They're not dead, they're sleeping. Because sleeping people do what? They wake up. They wake up. And you will not, when you die, you will not be dead. You will just be asleep. And God 
will wake you up. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's what it's all about. This is what God wants. This is what I want. This is why we started Infused Church. It's so that we could be a church, we could be a community of people that tries to push out some of the hell in our world. Because Jesus pushed out some of the hell in us. And the least we could do is help others to experience that too. So that one day when he comes back, all of this will be made new and clean. And Christian or not, you want this too, don't you? You want this. So let's do something about it. Let's wrestle with faith. Let's wrestle, wrestle with the Christian story. Let's help bring in peace in the midst of wrong so that wrongs can be made right and that those of us on earth can be a part of that. I want you to be a part of that. I don't want you to be an angry, judgmental Christian. There's, there's no need for that. There's just a need for lovingly pushing out the worst of the world, just like Jesus did, so that we could all experience heaven and earth together. That's heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to wrestle with the truth of this. Help us not to just take it at face value, but to maybe go back and actually read our Bibles and, and, and learn what it means what, what heaven really is about, to really contemplate what that place is and what it means to us and how you're connected to it. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves about where we are in this equation and, and the life that we live and the world that we want to live in. Do we want to live in a world that perishes? Live in a world that's full of pain and suffering or do we want to usher in? Do our hearts call us? Do we felt nudged? Do we felt led into bringing in something so much better? Lord, help us personally to realize this is about you and that we can be a part of that too. And Lord, help us to realize that you have a plan, that you are at work, that you have a goal in mind, that you are giving us an opportunity to grow and to be challenged towards a new life and a new world. Lord, help us to not just get in the car and drive away into our Mondays and our Tuesdays like none of this happened. Help us to bake on it, to grow on it, to add ingredients, to read the Bible with a new lens and become closer to you because ultimately that's what you want. Help us to honor us in that honor you in that, excuse me. Give us the strength and the wisdom to do that. In your name I pray. Amen.